What do we think of the word boner? Juvenile, but funny. But like, what about when someone says it like seriously? Well, who said it to you and what when? So my, <laughs> no, it wasn't me, surprisingly. Um, I'm not dating. No, this guy messaged my friend clearly drunk and he just said like, I have a public boner for you, which just <sighs> makes him sound like he's in eighth grade. Public meaning like? Yeah, well, I don't understand the context of that. He was trying to get her to come over. Okay. Public is freaking me out. Like he publicly So he's just walking around or? in Walmart with his dick out? Oh, he like no, literally he met a, a public bar. Boner. I don't think being in a bar with your dick out makes it any better. I mean, it's happened three well, you or go four to times here, but <laughs> yeah, I don't love the word. I think it's juvenile and it's, it's like, yeah, I think mean, it's juvenile is the perfect word for that, Andrew. Something you haven't been in quite some time. <laughs> I only use it when I am saying I like something in a funny way. Like I have, huh? I have a boner for that. Oh, yeah, I have a boner so for that. It is stupid, but I say it specifically because it is stupid. It reminds me of um, when I was like, when I was younger, and I would call <laughs> laughing at Maggie jumping in at this exact moment. <laughs> um, when I when I would call penises a bird. Did anyone else do that? No. <laughs> I my friends did. We just say like your bird. Oh, it's like freaking me out actually as I say it. Was it flaccid? Like, what was there a difference? No, it's just like your bird. It's a thing. You can Google it. But what kind of, um, I don't want It makes to. me laugh because I'm like scared of birds, like actual birds. Now I hate birds. Wait, I love, you want to know what's funny? My nickname to my family is literally bird. Oh, well, it's dick to me, girl. <laughs> I'm going to start calling you boner. Hey, boner. Honestly, that sounds like something I would have said in like high school. And that's what I mean. It's just such a juvenile. I feel like it's probably faded out too. Clearly not with this man. How old was he? Do we know? Like 29, I think. He needs to drop the word boner. Honestly, he might be in his 30s. You know, white people. I don't know how old any of you bitches are. I thought Andrew was 78 this whole time. Turns out he's only 902. Andrew doesn't know how to get a boner anymore. He has to use that drug. That drug? I can't think of what it's called right now. Viagra? (laughs) (laughs) That drug. You say that drug and it's like, Molly? <laughs> well, it's not Ozempic. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Or maybe, or maybe it is because apparently the number one um, side effect is losing your hair. <laughs> oh my God. Hey, I was losing my hair before it was cool to lose it on Ozempic. <laughs> no, your, your hair is fine. Kirk, girl, don't lie like that. <laughs> don't make fun of it his is. hairline and be it. like, oh, it's fine. I didn't say anything about the line. Anyway. <laughs> So I guess That's, I I'm came kidding, after Andrew. I have a, I have a boner for you, regardless. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'll take that in a friendly way. Um, well, thanks for listening to this episode. We have disbanded as a podcast. <laughs> yes, welcome to our third rebrand, the Boner Cast. When you hear the word icon, some names immediately pop into your head. Beyonce, Lady Gaga, Oprah, me. But what about the ones who've been in the business for years, silently making big waves in small spaces? Well, since 1989, Scabby has been doing just that. For the uninitiated, Scabby is a 8 to 30 foot blow up rat that often appears at construction sites as a call out against employers and non-union contractors. Scabby's name is a play on the word scabs, which to me is the most violent of words. And I think we should bleep it out for the rest of the episode because we hate fucking scabs. 
but it's a play on the word scabs, which is a term for those who cross picketing lines or who are absolute treacherous leeches. Scabby is an icon of collective bargaining and proof that for every fuck around, there is in fact a corresponding find out. Lately, Scabby hasn't been the only major celebrity taken to the streets in protest. From the likes of Jerry Allen White's fine ass, the queen of awkward Debbie Ryan and Lance Bass for some reason, some of the biggest names in Hollywood have come out in support of the WGA sag after strikes. So what could be so bad that celebrities like Vanessa Hudgens, who famously did not care about people dying, are out on the picket line. Of course, the answer is money. But there's a lot more nuance to it than that. Because in the background of those shots of celebrities picketing are real people whose livelihoods are being threatened by the greed from these studios and corporations. Today's episode is all about unions, how they work, why we need them, and why corporations absolutely hate them. And next week, we will be releasing an interview with three folks who have earned the illustrious position of one of Scabby's angels. All right, so before we get into this episode, I think it's really important to provide some context to these strikes. Presently, there are two union organizations on strike, the WGA, or Writers Guild of America, and SAG-AFTRA, or the Screen Actors Guild and American Federation of Television and Radio Artists. The WGA compromises two labor unions representing WGA East, and I'm really going to struggle with all of these acronyms, and WGA West. Whereas SAG-AFTRA, as the name implies, represents both the screen actors and television and radio artists. As is the case with all unions, these organizations work to establish industry standards for proper fair working conditions, wages, as well as negotiating health and pension benefits through collective bargaining. They also ensure that members have access to opportunities, proper enforcement of contracts, and protection against unauthorized use of their works. WGA, SAG, and AFTRA have all been around since the 1930s, and they've represented a way to protect its members from exploitative working conditions and unfair practices. In 2012, SAG combined with AFTRA to establish SAG-AFTRA, and it's no secret that Hollywood can be a very toxic and predatory environment, and honestly, that's an episode in itself, but these unions have definitely done a lot to keep people protected. Um, and Kirk, I know that you have a little bit closer of a connection to that side of Hollywood than us, um, and I was the wondering if you- side? I, <laughs> you suck the most dick in Hollywood out of all say, of us. I wanted to say, when you said that you're going to fuck up these acronyms and letters, I was like, okay, Candace Owens. <laughs> <laughs> we should call the SAG after the Alphabet Mafia. Honestly, the new Alphabet Mafia, I kind of love that. They are. Tell us the tea, Kirk. Yeah, here's some tea, girlies. Um, basically, because the heart of the issue, I think, to break it down for you plebeians and for myself um, is that the rise of streaming services and the loss of residuals. So obviously everyone knows that we no longer watch TV and movies and consume content the same way we did even a year ago, let alone 10 years ago. Um, so obviously with Netflix and Hulu and all the big streamers coming to prominence, um, there's a loss of residuals. 
meaning long-term payments provided to those who have worked on a project in the past. The pay structure was created in the 1960s, which is the last time both unions went on strike together. So basically, residuals are the money that someone gets for a piece of content that they either wrote or starred in, um, whether it be film, TV, this happens in music as well, um, when it continues to appear somewhere. So back in the day when a show would become syndicated, whether it be like a, a sitcom like Friends, the actors and writers would continue to get big, not bigger, larger sums of money than we do than they do now um, for the work as it continues to air in different places and different markets for eternity. Now that that happens on streaming, they don't get that. It's basically what's happening here. So that's what we're striking against. Previously, actors were able to live pretty comfortably off of these residuals, but as streaming platforms become more popular, those residual checks slow down due to there being no ads to generate revenue from. There's an example of um, Kimiko Glenn from Orange is the New Black recently sharing on social media that for her foreign residuals over the last decade, she's received $27. So for 10 years where her content has and her face has been seen, she has received $27 overseas, which is just insane. And that's, that gives you a good example of all these people that are kind of against the strike, I guess, saying, oh, you're famous actors. You made all this money when you filmed the show. You made all this money when it was on air. And sometimes that's not true. Sometimes you'll be a smaller actor when you start or a smaller writer before a show gets big and you're only getting paid for what you were then as opposed to what you are now. Um, so residuals are a huge way people continue to make money in the business. And it's just not happening the same way that it used to. It's crazy to me that you can dedicate so much time to something and like literally get like us as a podcast in theory could produce more money off of our silly little show than like this person who has worked very hard to get to this place in their career. Yeah, I think one of the crazier parts to me is that the money exists. So I love when people, when things like this happen, people are always like, well, you're doing the work and you're getting paid for the, the money that you're generating. But in this case, it's literally not the truth. So a writer is writing on a show and then the money is coming in. It's just going directly to the corporate side. So to the CEOs of these companies are making millions and billions of dollars that should be streamed down to the artists that are actually creating the content, the storytellers, the actors, um, production, everything. And it's just, so it's, it's not one of the situations where we're like, we want more money. And it's like, well, where is the money? There's no money for it to come from, but there is like, it's literally going in the hands of the people that I guess make the decisions mm -hmm. as opposed to people that are creating the content for these people to continue to be employed and to run an organization. I also think it's interesting when you consider the fact that like, you know, we think about the big stars, but like even extras were getting residuals and it's like, yeah. there are people who, you know, let's ignore, like, I know the Friends cast was literally raking in millions after the show ran, but it's like, there are people who are literally depending on this to like get by. And so for that money to go from maybe six, 700 bucks a month or something like that, I'm just kind of ballparking to a few cents. Like that's, that is absolutely insane. If it were a corporation, they would have figured out how to make it work by now, you know? Right. I think a big part of the change is just how different the economics and the business side of streaming is from the traditional film and TV industry. Um, I think when streaming first happened, it seemed like a really great opportunity for everybody to have more accessibility to media and be able to watch more. And that's true. That has happened in a way. But now we're also in an environment where there's so many different streaming services and the market is now so fragmented amongst them. And Part of that revenue that you mentioned, Kirk, is syndication. A show would air for six to 10 years on HBO and then get edited down and released on network TV. And a show like Friends has had reruns forever and a sec whole second life that way. And with streaming, there are exclusives 
shows that only appear on Netflix, only appear on Amazon Prime. You can't watch it anywhere else. There isn't another stream available or another channel for you to go to to see that. And with the exception of certain plans with Hulu, and I, I think maybe Netflix has an ad-supported plan now, there's no ads on those services usually. So there isn't that revenue, and that's another reason why the residuals have gone down. In addition to the fact that, by and large, shows that are appearing on um, streaming services are fewer episodes. Mm -hmm. They seem to be right around 10, sometimes they're even less, seven episodes a season, whereas network TV used to be 20 or 30 episodes a season, and mm -hmm. you're getting residuals and payment for all those episodes that you wrote on versus seven episodes of a Netflix show that runs for one season and then Netflix drops it and it gets buried by the algorithm and the depths of Netflix and no one's watching it anymore. Yeah. And also mind you that like the streamers, for example, Disney and Hulu are both going up $3 each this fall. Mm -hmm. People are paying for the streaming to watch. So there's one way that money's coming in. And Andrews, I know as you mentioned, like ads are not as frequent, but they still exist. Like ads still happen on the right before and after shows. So there is still money from companies being paid to these streamers that could be going somewhere else. Um, but it's a little bit different. But I think, I remember during COVID, like it still happens, like Netflix will purchase an old show series or mm -hmm. there was like a moment for Survivor, which I know is reality TV, but still same thing. Like it's, it breathes new life and new audiences into these things. So people should be paid again for the way that for their, their likeness is being used, whether they're an actor or a writer. I know there's an interesting conversation happening around reality shows right now about like unionizing reality stars because it's a similar type of thing. Like if you were on Survivor six years ago, why can't you get paid if it's popping off again yeah. on Netflix or on whatever it was? I forget where they put Survivor, but um, it's a different, different beast, but same type of thing when it comes to unions. The whole point of residuals is to allow you to have a revenue stream in between shows because mm -hmm. long before Uber and DoorDash, Hollywood has always been essentially a gig economy. The workers belong to a union, which is great, and that's the only way they could survive. But essentially, they're all gig workers. Even if you do write for a major show that goes on for multiple seasons, there is downtime in between those seasons where you could be writing something else. And all that time that you spend writing spec scripts, writing treatments that may or may not be used for a film or a TV show is unpaid work. And it's my understanding that that amount of unpaid work has increased. And I know, Andrew, you kind of hit on it earlier, this idea of unpaid labor, but also, you know, the idea of someone's likeness and, and the ownership that they have towards that. And I know that a big part of this issue is also around the rise of AI, both from a perspective of, you know, using an actor's likeness um, for future projects, but also when it comes to the potential for AI to start writing scripts. Well, I've seen Terminator, and I, I believe it's actually a documentary, <laughs> so I'm terrified of AI. No, not really. Um, I mean, AI is a really cool thing to play around with. I use some AI tools in my day job as a video editor. They make my life a little bit easier, and that's really what I see is, is the purpose of AI. It's something that will help an artist or help a normal person just be a little bit faster at their job or get rid of doing the tedious stuff. Or for Erica to write um, a script every week for our podcast. Okay, shut the fuck up. <laughs> Why don't you write the script, Kirk? I have. <laughs> 
But can you write it better than ChatGPT can? I think it can because we usually will we'll be reading it. I'll be like, "What the fuck does it say?" <laughs> <laughs> we do that when we write it ourselves. Oh, please, God. Also, Kirk can't even read, so that's true. I use ChatGPT to read for me. Does it do that for you? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Therein lies the danger with AI. It's a very new technology. It is evolving extremely fast. There's more fear on the side of actors, and and we'll get to that, than on the side of writers, but it is still a concern for the writers. The Writers Guild has had some um, attempt to come up with a framework around the use of AI going forward in script writing. They don't even want to ban it outright. They want to see it as a tool that can be useful for writers. However, the fear is that studios will be able to just feed prompts into a AI platform and get a script out the other side and cut out writers entirely. Or maybe they're only hiring one or two writers to just clean it up and make sure everything's okay with the script. I think it's more scary for like people who are trying to get into the business and like might start as a writing assistant or might start as a, like, you know, a PA or something who like, are doing things like that, that are helping from an editing perspective or like just like putting things together or whatever from a thoughts perspective, like that, I feel like it could eliminate that more so than eliminate like original ideas. Um, but that's still scary because it might deter people from entering the business. You brought up a good point about original ideas. One of the problems with AI is what we all have been calling AI for the last year really isn't true artificial intelligence. It is a very complicated algorithm for making decisions. For instance, ChatGPT is called a large language model, which basically means that a lot of databases full of written content is fed into this thing. It learns the patterns, how humans write things in different contexts, and then it is able to replicate that generally pretty accurately, but it is and it isn't really able to come up with new ideas. So that's one sticking point, the copyright piece of things. Like mm-hmm. AI isn't out there in the wild, just coming up with stuff in a vacuum on its own. You had to give it other written content. I fully believe that studios are going to try to use it and they're going to make absolute ass shows and movies out of it for a while. And eventually people will revolt and say, this is horrible. We don't want this anymore. But I'm sure there's going to be a period of time where they're using AI and it's just horrible. I will say in the way that you described how ChatGPT learns how to spit out responses is how I imagine Mark Zuckerberg learned how to interact with humans as well. For all who have not listened, aliens are real. It's literally just Mark Zuckerberg. But that is to say that, like, I know that, you know, there is an, a big thing around the AI images that every gay man on the planet was making of themselves. Where I didn't do it. Surprisingly, Kirk didn't do it. Although we'll oh, check his phone later. But those images were coming off of copyrighted pieces right. of like art that already exist. Yeah. And so... It is tough though, right? Because there's also this idea of parallel thinking that we see so often, especially with comedians, for example. I think the best part of writing is like when it comes from experience, because that's not something an AI can write. Yes. And we all have very, very similar experiences, but we do experience them slightly differently. And I think Mm -hmm. that's the difference between human writing and AI writing, at least currently. 
so many movies are the same basic story. It's the details around it that make it mm-hmm. different and make it a new story. The stories are going to be so cookie cutter. Yeah. And, and there could also be a point where because it's feeding on and learning from the stuff that AI has previously put out as well, that doesn't somehow get into a spiral where it gets shittier and shittier and shittier as it becomes more and more self-referential. And then we have season two of True Detective. (laughs) And, And like I said, I don't think it's as big of a concern for the writers as residuals and just the change in the marketplace and, and what streamers are doing. Um, but it is a concern. It's also a much bigger concern for the actors because studios have come out and said mm-hmm. that their plan is to hire background actors, extras, pay them for a day of work and scan them. They run them through a bunch of different poses and moves and actions. They basically have that person's likeness and they can reuse it and reuse it and reuse it. And now they don't have to pay for those extras anymore. That is truly scary because you're talking about the big base of that union. You know, mm-hmm. how many people appear in a movie frame that aren't Tom Cruise, for example? There could be 30. 100, 200 people behind him in that frame, but all those people need to be paid. Like there are a lot of people who got their start just doing whatever work they could do to build up a resume. And so now we are snuffing the next big star. It's not common to even get a secondary role on your first movie or TV show gig. And so it's it's one of those things where it creates this insane barrier to entry for those who aren't already well connected and what are we going to have a whole generation of nepo baby actors not that you know we're not trending towards that anyway but it it you know unfortunately just creates so much less accessibility to something that we as a society need like we culturally need good cinema and good tv And that's always carried through the actors. It could be the best script ever, but if it's not delivered well, then it's not going to be a good movie. One of the interviewers that'll be in the next episode refers to them as blue collar actors. And that's exactly what it is. I think that we as Americans are supposed to support the blue collar folks that are, that create this great nation. And I think that a lot of issues around this is we're separating those actors who are literally living paycheck to paycheck, pursuing their dreams as just a part of this Hollywood elite when they're anything but. Andrew, like I said, we talk a lot about how we perceive these people. And we can see that, right? We can see where there are people who support this. So a poll recently came out that said 60% of voters are in favor of these strikes. So there's 18% who are in opposition and the 15% who simply don't care enough to have an opinion. You would assume that if we are looking at these people as blue-collar Americans, then the right should be all about pulling yourselves up by the bootstraps. And I know, Andrew, you live on the conservative side of Reddit. Is that the case, or are we seeing something else? Well, predictably, people on the right are having a moment where they can gloat at the evil Hollywood elites, enjoy the fact that they're out of work, And they are having a rough go of it. Ben Shapiro tweeted, This is the first time I can remember supporting a strike. In fact, I hope the strike continues forever. 
super good comedy right there. <laughs> really, no notes. He definitely does not need writers, that's for sure. And an interesting statistic is that 61% of Democrats view actors as workers, whereas 55% of Republicans view them as privileged elite. So that's a pretty big divide right there. And I think that most people, when they think of Hollywood, they do think of the privileged elite. They're thinking of Tom Cruise and Jennifer Lawrence and the people at the top, 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 the people you see at award shows on stage, the people that you see on the movie posters, the people that you think of when you think of movie actor. But in truth, they are a very small number of people. Mm -hmm. It's the people that make up the vast majority of the industry as it is that are the ones struggling. So like we mentioned, all of the people who are background actors, extras, some of them, they're trying to break into the industry. Some of them, this is the work they do. Um, I've worked with actors in my day job, being a video producer, and a lot of them have a full-time job. They're teachers, but a lot of those people don't have another job. They're trying to break into the industry. And even if they do have another job, they still deserve to get good wages and access to being able to do a thing that they like to do and to remove them entirely is kind of crazy. But um, predictably, all the right-wing people... Um, like I said, do fucking love this because uh, they see it as the death of Hollywood. Go woke, go broke. Now Hollywood is tearing itself apart and it's fantastic. You know, there's a lot of big stars are out on the picket line. People like Brian Cranston, they're out there and they, they are members of the union and they're recognizing the fact that they're incredibly privileged. They don't have to worry about money, but it's all of their fellow actors in that same union that they're sticking up for. But of course, in the comment section, you'll see so many people saying, why the fuck is Brian Cranston out there? He thinks he needs to make more money. He made all his millions on Breaking Bad. I used to love that show. Now I can't watch it anymore. And it's like, okay, you fucking snowflake. That's not why he's there. He knows that he's made millions of dollars. No one has to tell him that. To me, this whole thing could just be boiled down to people not understanding what it means to want for the collective good. Yes, Jeremy Allen White, my short king, who if you ever listen to this podcast, please, I know you're single now, is probably doing fine, but also recognizes that this ultimately hurts every single person involved. Because at the end of the day, if this strike goes on for another two, three, four months, that affects everyone. Even the people at the top are now wondering, where is my next paycheck coming from? Again, we're talking about regular people who have regular people needs, and they're just as stuck in this as these high-level actors in the sense that they're waiting for these executives to care Kirk, I know you're kind of tuned into some of the rhetoric that's been coming out from these executives about these strikes. So do you want to walk us through that a little bit more? So one of the groups which represents the studios, which is known as the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, or AM, AM to PM, no, it's AMPTP, <laughs> or the pink song AM to PM, has, AM rejected, PM. <laughs> has rejected most requests and has pushed the narrative that these actors and writers are hurting everyone by fighting for their rights. So they've basically been saying that by continuing this striking, they're now affecting not only themselves, but people that, I guess, the studios obviously do, but the people that don't 
agree with striking. So other writers and actors, I guess, that don't want to strike, they just want to make money. Are, and they're saying they're ruining it for everybody, which makes which is very contradictory. It makes no sense. They're just like, why not try to strike a deal and give them what they deserve? But no. And then in July, deadline report of a studio executive who said, quote, the end game is to allow things to drag on until union members start losing their apartments and losing their houses. Basically, meaning that they should keep going until they can't go any longer because they have no money to sustain and to live, but they have to work for the bare minimum and go back to the way it was. Hopefully that's not the case because the point of a strike, I think, is to hold out as long as possible and to get what you actually want. Mm-hmm. And we've seen it happen, you know, throughout history, not just in this industry, but other industries where where it goes in the right direction. But um, Andrew and Erica, what do you guys think about that? Deadline also posted a really good graphic that shows the demands of the union and the direct responses from the AMP, <laughs> AMPT, those fucking crooks. <laughs> They're pretty much resounding no's. And it's, these are demands that to me seem pretty straightforward and pretty reasonable, but by and large, it's all rejection. And so for these studio executives to say, oh, well, they're the reason why we're struggling. And these actors and writers are the reasons why Hollywood could be no more is so frustrating because one group has a fuck ton of money and the other one doesn't. And for them to try to play it any other way is quite honestly insulting. It's insulting to us as you know, regular lay people, well, not me, you regos on the podcast and people who, you know, are a part of this industry. And it just so shows the corporate greed that's so inherent. I mean, I think all of us have had conversations about our day jobs where we've said, yeah, man, like this raise is going to be 3%, but inflation's at 6%. And these actors and actresses and writers are pretty much saying the same thing. And it really shows the parallels between this, but also our regular day lives too. I don't know why people would be mad about this other than the fact that they want to have a culture war, us versus them, right versus left fucking bullshit thing going on. You're right. Like there are substantial big changes happening in the film and TV and entertainment industry as a whole with streaming platforms, everything from Netflix, to Spotify, completely changing how stuff works, as well as new stuff like AI. It's just changed how movies are done entirely. The studios have always been a business. They're not here for the fact that they love movies or they want to produce art that people can connect to and entertains people and they enjoy. They just are there to make a profit. So that's why we have an entire Marvel cinematic universe and everybody else wants to create a cinematic universe for themselves. That's what gets greenlit because that's what studios know will get asses in seats in theaters. That's what will get people streaming online. Barbie was fantastic. I absolutely loved it. It was one of my favorite movies I've seen this year. It was just so much fun. It wow, was you're gay. Yes, I am. I am super gay for Ryan Gosling. He is literally me. Yes, yes. You and Ryan Gosling are one in the same. One in yes. the same. Honestly, that would take all white people look the same way too far. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing about it is, yes, Barbie was a legitimately good movie. It was kind of a long shot to make. I saw an interview comment from Greta Gerwig saying she didn't think that they were going to make the movie when she pitched it because they were searching around for a Barbie movie to make. It, it seemed like something that was 
way too far out of the bounds for a corporate entity like Mattel to actually take on. And they took the risk and it obviously worked out. Well, what does that mean? Well, now we're going to get Polly Pocket. Yeah, every fucking Mattel brand is going to now have a cinematic universe around it. Maybe we do need to keep the writer's strike up, actually. <laughs> okay, Shapiro. That is this fundamental change in the industry, and it, it has become so profit-driven. I mean, it, it's always been profit-driven, but even more so, anything that doesn't get the exact type of engagement that Netflix wants, they cut, and then that's it. It's done. Yeah, being a writer, being an actor, it's different from what most people's jobs are. They go to work in a factory or on a construction site or go to an office. Working as an actor or a writer or a creative is very different. And I think people think it's a lot more subjective. Like there's something tangible that I can see that I make. And that's why I am worth $85,000 a year as an accountant or worth $45 an hour as a welder. But they then look at actors and, and writers and they're like, well, that doesn't look hard. The point is whether or not you think that that job is silly or not silly, or you don't agree with a writer's politics, all of those people still deserve to make the money that they're worth. Or that's coming in. That bottom line to me is like supply and demand. Like you can get mad that um, a football player got paid $255 million dollars. But that's the demand of the team based upon the profits that they're making. They can afford to pay mm -hmm. a player that much for a 15-year agreement. So it's like the same thing for, which you hear, by the way, very few people complain about that. But um, if someone's showing up to do a job where there's money coming in that, that they had a part of playing, they deserve the money that they had a part of playing. That's just like what it comes down to, no matter what the job is, no matter if you think the job is stupid or not. I think people like are a high horse about like certain types of fields and jobs, but like I guess entertainment is one where it's like, oh, who cares? Well, it's because they think it's something that's not useful to society like in their tiny little pea brains well i can drive over a bridge so those type of union jobs are legit and valid but you know if i never see a movie again i'm gonna be okay and it's like actually you piece of shit that's not the case you and you'll never have to know that because fortunately you know there are still people that are so passionate about their work as actors and writers that they're finding ways that are still within the bounds of the strike without being scabs to continue to produce but it's still at the risk of their own livelihood and it's like you dickhead like how fucking selfish are you that you're saying that me as an accountant who truly is not making anyone's life better as an accountant now as a bad bitch with a fatty i do be making lives better but these people are creating art and like they are leaving prints on history in ways that you'll never understand. And if money is coming in based upon the art they produce, they deserve the money. If exactly. their art wasn't being viewed, then which it hasn't forever, then it doesn't deserve it until it starts. It doesn't deserve it. If the money is there, they deserve the money. That's with yeah. any job, any occupation, anything. One of the things that I hope has become apparent to you, listener, is that this is just one example, like unions right. exist right. for this reason, which is that there's always going to be the larger powers that be that want to take advantage of the everyday person. And, you know, I think right now the people who are in opposition, and I will say in my experience, they've been far and few in between um, and all fucking idiots, are the people who simply don't care about others. And this whole thing is so much more than people getting fair wages. It's also, I think, going to be a big example of these are the most visible people on the planet. 
and they're standing up to these corporations. And I think however this shakes out is really going to set a stage for future union-related negotiations. And before we get into our final part, just to underscore that, what people need to remember, it is us versus them. You are way closer to that actor who's worth $50 million than you are to Netflix's CEO. And that's the whole point is we're all in that same boat. If you work as a machinist for a company, they're selling a product to somebody and pulling in X amount of dollars of which you only see a small amount in your wages. And the rest may be going to quite a lot of executive compensation. Mm -hmm. Even when it comes to the difference between someone who works on an oil field and someone who works in an office, that's not your enemy. You're both way closer to being completely broke than you ever will be to being Elon Musk. Mm -hmm. I always like to say you are one tragic medical bill away from poverty. Literally. We all I mean, are. Not me. You're not. No, everyone is. Everyone is. No, literally. Literally, there's no one in. The, like, there's a few percentage of people that are not in that category. But that's a whole other topic. Just to slightly tack onto that, it's also not just wages and residuals. Like, there are discussions coming around people having pensions and health benefits. So, even if you set aside the money. This is also people just trying to have access to care in a country that famously does not provide that. Again, these are all things that we see in our everyday lives. And I truly hope that if you are listening to this and there is anyone in your life who's speaking out in protest of these strikes, that you show them the parallels. That this is everyday life. This is us. This is we. We are all in this together. You know, the only difference between us four on this podcast and these people out striking are that they're in unions and we're not. Yes, absolutely. And if you are worried about your manufacturing job being eliminated because it's been automated and now a robot does it, then you have something in common with these actors, too. Which is that is more likely to, to be honest, because we've seen it happen. Yeah. Be scared. Industrial Revolution, girl. Look it up. I don't know. Maybe unionize might be a good idea. You know, I feel like we keep inferring that it's a good idea to unionize. And if any of us are dead within the next like year, it doesn't matter how many jokes I make. I did not unalive myself. It was the government. And speaking of celebrities, we are going to move on to our end show game and game show show game. end. are they fab or scab? All right, everyone, welcome back to this episode of Fab or Scab. I'm going to say a celebrity, and you're going to tell me if they are a fabulous member, an active supporter of unions, or if they're a dirty fucking scab. So are these people who we know for a fact are actual scabs, or are we just going off of our impression? It's a mix. Okay. So some of them are, in fact, scabs, and some of them we have no known status. First, starting off strong with... George Clooney. Is he fab or scab? I think he's fab. Yeah, he's always had some more liberal, progressive positions and activism throughout his career. So I, I think oh, he's. The last movie I saw of him was with Julia Roberts and it was terrible. It came out like two years ago or something. So he should be a scab. As Kirk was waffling towards the end, um, you're both fucking wrong. He is, in fact, a scab. 
What? Um, in 2007, he quietly left the WGA before the 2007-2008 strikes, um, and it was largely because he disagreed with the Guild's decisions to not guarantee him on-screen writing credits for Leatherheads. So he's still not a part of it? Yeah, to this day, he's not a member. Wow. Has he come out in support of the strike, though, or no? Because you could still support it and not be in the WGA. I don't know. Let's Google it. Oh, he's out there. Yeah, I feel like I saw pictures of him. George Clooney, Julia Roberts, and more support strike. Well, maybe he's still part of SAG-AFTRA. Yeah, but he does not seem to be a part of WGA. Meryl Streep and George Clooney lead donation campaign for striking actors. All right. Half a scab. Now we have Brad Pitt. That's an interesting one because he is also championing some progressive causes. But didn't he have like a housing thing he did in Louisiana after oh, Hurricane yeah. Katrina? And it was kind of bullshit. In the yeah, end. I've seen those houses. They're really shitty. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. So I think he's, he's just I think he's fab. No, I think he's fab. All right. I'll go with I'll go with fab. Final answers. Yeah. Yeah. Fab. He is by definition fab. But he actually was a little late to not being a scab in that it took him being called out publicly for him to stop continuing work on his upcoming film, Apex. So like 50-50, like a reluctant fab. All right, we have a twofer. Ronald Reagan, was he a fab or a scab? I think it depends on which Ronald Reagan are we talking about. Are we talking about actor Ronald Reagan who... I think was a much more progressive person. Or are we talking about Ronald Reagan who has a bullet rotting his brain and the throat goat whispering all of his policy positions into his ear? I think we can figure out which one took which stance based off of that alone. Um, and you are correct, Andrew. Ronald Reagan was actually once the president of SAG and dropped his presidency with SAG to pursue presidency in the United States of America. <laughs> a That's horrible so move. Wild. That's a so horrible wild. move all around. Yeah, I can be honestly, president of this organization so I can be president of the country. It's like, oh, I would kill it as a PTA president. I'm going to go for the White House. I mean, well, it worked. So. Clearly. And then 30 years later, an extra from Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, became president as well. Just fucking crazy. Well, I think is also a member of SAG-AFTRA, isn't he? He probably is. <laughs> probably. <laughs> like, he can be if he wanted to. It's only 600 bucks, I think. We don't know if he has that much money to put together, but you never know. Yeah, he's about to be a broke bitch. He'll just ask his voters for it. All right, so what about the queen of the... <laughs> Three throat goat, Nancy Reagan. <laughs> I think Nancy Reagan has been evil. Yeah, listen, fuck I that she's bitch. she's against it. She's against it. There's too many gay people in sang after it. Honestly? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, um, Sarah Silverman. She's a fab. She's random though, so she clearly did something wrong if you're having her on this list. Oh no, she's a fab. No, she actually did something right where she literally said... Any of you bitches who are working, I don't care what type of working you're doing, basically, whether it's, you know, acceptable. She said, fuck you, you're still scabs. So she is a a super fab. Oh, I do actually recall that video. Every time I say fab, I feel so gay. I'm like, that one's fab. (laughs) Fab. I didn't know you were straight, Kirk. Wow, Erica, you're forcing him to act gay on the podcast. Kirk saw the Barbie movie by his own choosing. It was fab. Speaking of gay, or maybe in a closet, or just should be in a closet. Oh, gosh. Tyler Perry. Tyler Perry. Oh, I, I was like, know who fucks Tyler Perry? On this. Why? <laughs> Do you have like an NDA signed with Tyler Perry? Yeah, it's called being white. <laughs> exactly. Oh. Um, I think Tyler Perry is fab. 
He is, in fact, not fab. Really? Is he still working? He left the WGA a few years back because his issue was that when he was hiring WGA writers, he felt like he still had to do a lot of rewrites, which to me sounds like okay. no one can write a movie as badly as Tyler Perry. Literally. Like, I don't think anyone else knows how to write Medea's Day off. Like, I, I'm sorry, girl. <laughs> it's, like, that's only your brainchild. Did somebody at the Writers Guild tell him to maybe not make a 15th Medea movie? Or someone was just like, hey, what if we, um, I don't know, made a movie that didn't set back the progress of the African-American community? I can't believe we have so many Medea movies when you really think about it. Honestly, I can. I've seen them all. I don't think I've seen one Medea movie. You've never seen Medea Goes to Jail? I don't know. She, cl- she clearly got out because I've seen other, there's other ones. After. <laughs> the Medea cinematic universe. It is. Thought. Not what I want to see. Are you next? That's the real MCU. I could write a mean Medea movie, to be honest. Kirk, <laughs> I'm going to do it. It would be so problematic. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, and this last one is truly a mystery to us all. This is someone who I think has really captured the hearts of many and is a really relevant figure to cinema. And that is Miss Piggy. <laughs> Miss Piggy. Um, <laughs> is there an answer to this? <laughs> I literally said we couldn't know. Oh, um, I would say she's, she's scab. She's annoying. <laughs> That's crazy. That's a crazy response. Andrew, I hope you can do better. Well, I was going to say scab because she struck me as kind of like Tyler Perry in a way where he got his bag. <laughs> okay, hold on, said, hold on. Are you, you guys? You're literally calling Mindy and Miss Piggy right now. That's wild. I am not. That is what you said, girl. I am not. You have interpreted it that way. You know what? That's exactly what white guys say when they realize they said something fucked up. You interpreted that way. I am only sorry that you chose to take offense at this. Honestly, period. I'm sorry you feel that way. No, it's because Tyler Perry got his bag and then he said, fuck the little guy. And I think Miss Piggy would do the same thing. So Miss Piggy, in my opinion is in fact fab because she is a true love for Hollywood. And so for that reason and that reason only, she cares about every single person who walks the glistening streets of Tinseltown. Miss Piggy's so crazy. I just I just Googled her and I'm like, this is craziest thing exists. Miss Piggy kind of built right though. Sleeper built. Kirk, have you never seen Miss Piggy before? I have. I don't look at her every night like you do. Like I'm just Google her. <laughs> like oh. chill. I'm obsessed with her right now though in these pictures. And now they're looking at her with Kermit. It's a really weird couple, like a pig and a frog. I mean, I'm going to be honest, babe. I know a lot of couples that have a similar build to the piggy Kermit the frog combo. Me too. Me too. I actually agree with that statement. So I would say that the winner of that game is Kermit the frog for getting that sweet pork. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hellscape Carousel. I'm Erica. I'm Andrew. And I'm Kirk. Kissy, kissy. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Hellscape Carousel. If you like what you heard, leave a five-star review, subscribe, and follow us on social media. Stay tuned for more episodes.